All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 27th day of July, 2021. We do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. So, want to encourage you to continue sending along whatever comments you might have to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. This week, our sponsors are Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and V Gold Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, Surviving the Destruction of America. Dr. Roger Moss, Dabby Carreras, uh, is a first-time visitor with us. He'll be with us. Uh, and we'll um, and we'll also uh, be talking uh, to Dr. Roger Moss of Labrador Gold Corp. He'll be with us in the second uh, in the second segment. Uh, today, um, Peter Buchvar returns. He's with us in the second in the second half of today's show uh, as chief investment officer of a three point uh, I think it's more like a seven point five billion fund. Peter closely watches macroeconomic conditions, so. I'll certainly want to ask him what his ideas are on questions such as um, the uh, rise in the in the inflation rates. We have a 5.2% in the CPI, 7.3% in the PPI. These are readings that we haven't seen in a long time for many years. Uh, so what's he think about that? What uh, And with the Fed painting itself into a corner, making it impossible to raise interest rates without triggering a financial market collapse, how will that impact the markets and our investment decisions going forward? And those are just a couple of the questions that I want to talk to Peter about. I want to ask him about and find out what his thoughts are. Uh, in the second segment, as I just mentioned, Dr. Roger Moss will join me to introduce an exciting gold exploration story. Um, you, so many of you have heard of the Newfound Gold Company, which is uh, making one of the most phenomenal gold discoveries this year. Really exciting story. Well, Labrador is right next door, the same uh, belt of rocks uh, same geology, and it's also having some early success. So we'll be talking to Roger uh, right after the first uh, commercial break. But right now, uh, I'm happy to tell you that I have with me for the first time Dabby Cajeras. Um, he, he, Dabby epitomizes, in my view, the American dream. He has worked hard and enjoyed very considerable success, despite the fact that he is not a person of white privilege or born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Dabby grew up in the Bronx as a son of immigrant of an immigrant family. He studied engineering and economics at Lehigh University, and professionally, he has worked as a private wealth manager for Spartan Capital Securities. And now he is seeking to serve 
the city of New York as a controller for the city, uh, where I live here in New York City, so for the city of New York. And my friend Laura Stein recently introduced me to Dabby, and I found him to be extremely inspirational and impressive, uh, and uh, I just invited him to come on the show to talk a little bit about his plans uh, for the city of New York, uh, assuming, and he does assume, that he will be elected to uh, controller of the city of, of New York. Uh, welcome, Dabby, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And you know what? You're so correct. I mean, I'm actually sitting here in my office right now in Spartan Capital, right? 45 Broadway Lake, about, I don't know, I can take a quarter of my pocket, I can hit the bull right in the nose. That's where I am, right around the corner from the New York Stock Exchange. I'm looking at the 10-year, and I'm seeing, well, even though it went up since yesterday, 2.1 bips to 1.297 where it closed, it's not looking so great right now as you speak. But yet... The conversation literally is all about Bitcoin and everything else, so it's really wild. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we have you on some time to talk about finances. Today we want to talk to you uh, primarily about your quest to become controller of the city of New York. And I have to ask you, I mean, given the city at a time when it, it can't be a lot of fun, being controller or running for office in the New York City, I wouldn't think. I mean, uh, we have a crime spike that is... Uh, the highest that we've seen since the days before Rudy Giuliani became mayor. Um, and, and, the, and the attitude is, you know, to let all of the guys, the, the sort of career criminals out of jail because they can't afford bail or because of COVID or whatever. And these guys are back out on the street creating and, you know, committing crime after crime. We're seeing it. It's just, it's New York City. It's a lot of the major cities around the, around the country. Uh, why in the world would you, especially running as a Republican, uh, seek to become controller and have anything to do with the city that seems to be so, right now, so difficult to manage? Well, I have fun every day. I mean, every single day is positive. I'm always manifesting that. But you're so correct. I mean, the momentum is really building with the madness in the city. I mean, it's almost like Mortal Kombat, you know what I mean? Now with, our, with the, the vaccines, the, the mandates, which I actually believe they're actually more of inoculation because of the standard of FDA where it's at. But you're so precisely right. It's about public safety. Public safety and pure public safety because these are not red issues, these are not blue issues, these are corruption issues, and that's what's causing so much struggle in my community. And that's what I'm going to do. The big fun of it is for me to remove these struggles because that is the biggest benefit that we could possibly do. So I look at my job as an investment banker, and as you had so eloquently put, I mean, I worked my entire way up, not born with a silver spoon. I mean, I, I started off in business as a cashier and a card attendant for, for Target, then a, as a lifeguard, then doing mortgages, and then insurance sales and health insurance sales to finally wind up, like I said, right here, working in investment banking and bringing money into people's lives because that's the situation that, we're, that it fixes this big, huge issue. Not just expanding the budget and taking money out of the operating costs to, to fulfill um, obligations and, 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 and uh, favors to your best political friends as these politicians, as these progressives have done, but it's actually fixing the struggles that the people have and ending the, the, generational, the generalization of whose fault it is and the stereotypes around government and ending the, the, the system of, of a revolving door that keeps people poor and struggle. That's really what it's about because 
you can never level the playing field, and so to speak. All you could do is clear the situation, clear the environment to create an opportunity for everyone to create and everyone to grow. Well, we've had these uh, these cities have been run by the same party for many, many decades, uh, for the most part, and there doesn't seem to be very much competition. Uh, it's Democrat or nothing in this city, pretty much, and most people go to the polls and they just pull the pull the lever or check the box that has a D behind the names of the uh, of of the people on the ballot, and you know the they're. If they're Republicans at all, they, they almost never stand a chance of winning except in a couple of more conservative areas of the city. But um, you're going to be running, I think, against somebody that's very well financed, uh, probably a white liberal from Brooklyn, if I have it right, uh, would seem to have all of the advantages. Uh, but you talk about corruption isn't a Democrat or a Republican issue. It's a human issue. How can you... How can you get that message across to the to the to the voters? Because I agree with you. I think people really don't care. I think people are really disgusted with politics, and what they really want are honest answers and solutions. So, how do you propose to get that message across in a city that's loaded in favor of Democrats? I, I feel like even though the city is loaded in favor of people who are my friends, I mean, there's 3.7 million somewhat registered Democrats, and there's about 500,000 registered somewhat Republicans, and independents is about a million or so more. So there's a lot of people. There's four, mm-hmm. five-something million people who are registered to vote. But the struggles that we're seeing, I mean, I, I can only bring it back to what the mayor and, and his best friend, the current comptroller, have been doing. I mean, we have only finally opened up our economy a little over a month after really fully reopening for, for most people. And when I say fully reopening without the mandates of a lot of things, but now the mandates as of yesterday, the mayor is, is calling for about 340,000 employees. The, the people who are going to be prote- protecting their pensions, 340,000 people that they need to be inoculated, or the word they use, vaccinated, to agree to come back for weekly testing all the way through September 13th. So Mm -hmm. with the city showing, and I think that the one good thing is we're getting really accurate numbers of who is getting tested and who is not getting tested, but the entire mandate, I mean, whatever happened to a lot of... uh, our health issues and, and HIPAA roles and, 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 and requirements around that. I mean, people did not sign up for the military when they became a city employee. But mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're correct. It's the struggles that we're seeing against a, really a, almost a lawlessness of a mayor, which has made it so much that people realize that we need to have our rights back. We can't live mm-hmm. in an authoritarian kind of society in a city. All right. Um I guess we've I guess we've lost Abby. He was on a cell phone from his office in New York City. Um, we will have to get him on again sometime to uh, complete what I wanted to ask him. Uh, there he does have a website. Uh, if you're interested in in inner city, uh, I, w- I don't want to say politics, but inner city governance, uh, you might want to check Dabby's uh, website out. And um, we we will be uh, hearing from him sometime in the near future. But uh, unfortunately, I guess. We've lost him for today. We do have to go to break, uh, but don't go away because we'll be back with Dr. Roger Moss of Labrador Gold.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Dr. Roger Moss. Uh, Roger is the President, Director, and CEO of Labrador Gold Corp. He is an exploration geologist with 30 years of experience in Africa, Central, and South America, Eastern Europe, and Canada in a variety of geological environments. Roger was instrumental in finding the multi-million ounce Navichab gold deposit in Namibia. Uh, in addition to gold exploration in Namibia and Canada, he has also worked uh, on base metal exploration projects in Canada and Mexico and copper and gold exploration in, uh, in Canada, Peru, Colombia, and Chile. So he's certainly gotten around, that's for sure, um, and a lot of years of experience. He received his, uh, his Ph.D. from the University of Toronto in 2000 with a focus on hydrothermal ore deposits. He continues to share his interests. Uh, and experience in ore deposits and mineral exploration with students as an adjunct professor in mineral engineering at the University of Toronto. Uh, Before I say hello to Roger, i just uh, tell you that uh, Labrador Gold trades in Toronto in the symbol LAB. You can buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol NKOSF. Uh, 150.8 million shares outstanding. I saw it selling Oh, $1.21 to $1.24 earlier today. I'm not sure exactly where it is at the moment, but it's got a market cap, let's say, of around north of $180 million in Canadian money. So it's not one of the cheapest stocks that we cover in my newsletter and on this show, but it is certainly one of the, I think, one of the more exciting uh, stories because it's right next to, um, to a very great Queensway project, Discovery of Newfound Gold. It's in the same, as I understand, the same belt of rocks 
uh, and the company has already very early on uh, had some very, very exciting drill results. So uh, I, I'm really pleased to say hello to Roger. Thanks for joining me today, Roger. Uh, thanks, Jay. That was a that was a great introduction, and uh, very happy to be here. It's uh, as you say, it's first time, and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, I'm really pleased that you came on as a sponsor. This is a company that I've been invested in. I had it in in front of my uh, my subscribers, and my good friend Chen Lin was uh, beat me to the punch. Uh, for sure, and probably picked up the shares a little earlier than I did, but nonetheless, I think there's a great deal of upside potential here. So uh, so you've just begun drilling on this Kingsway project, which is right next to the Queensway project. Yours is called Kingsway. Uh, it's very early stages, but you, you come up with some really great numbers already. Uh, just um, I guess it was just very recently last week, 276 grams per ton over half a meter, and some other in that same drill hole, some other very high grades as well. Um, so it appears that you might be onto something here, and it's as I understand it, the same belt of rocks. But anyway, can you can you talk about the exploration projects, uh, the the prospects that you have there uh, at Kingsway, and uh, what you've learned so far from your early exploration efforts? Yeah, sure. So i I think um, I think the story really started in in January of last year when Newfound Gold. Uh, put out their spectacular discovery intersection. Uh, 90, it was about 93 grams a ton over over 19 meters, and it. Uh, <laughs> I think it took a lot of people by surprise because it seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, certainly took me by surprise, but um, I, I did a bit of due diligence because at that point we were looking for a new project. We'd had we'd worked up in Labrador on a few projects, one of which we still have. And um, but we weren't getting any joy in the market, and uh, people were sort of overlooking it, it because it was it was really grassroots um, mm-hmm. exploration. So when Newfound Gold came out with their discovery hole, it sort of piqued my interest. And we we had optioned the properties in Labrador from Sean Ryan, who you mm-hmm. listeners may know of yeah. um, from his success up in the Yukon. And uh, I remember Sean saying that he had these shares that. Uh, the, these uh, licenses in Newfoundland, I didn't know where they were. So I called him up and asked him, and he said, oh, yeah, you're not going to believe this, Roger, but they're right next to that new discovery by Newfound Gold. And I <laughs> said, wow, that's, that's amazing. What are you going to do with them? And he said, well, you, you're the fourth, the fourth person to ask me that today. And <laughs> so, uh, so that started a fairly, it wasn't too long a process. Uh, I, I guess that conversation we had, around the end of January, beginning of February, and by March, uh, early March at the PDIC last year, we'd, we signed an option agreement and um, we managed to get the, uh, get the, those, those licenses from Sean. And um, really, about, as you know, about two weeks later, the pandemic was declared, and so uh, we couldn't get to work on the property right away. Um, we got out there... About the end of July, beginning of August of last year, but uh, we hit the ground running because we'd done a lot of research. Sean had data from uh, previous work that was done on the licenses. We compiled a lot of information from the excellent uh, geological survey website here in Newfoundland, and uh, so we were really we really knew what we were looking for when we got out there. And of course, as you said, we were pretty confident that we were in the same belt of rocks, and what was, to my mind, the most important aspect of this whole thing, and the reason 
we uh, went after it so aggressively was that we were on the same fault zone as Mm -hmm. the discovery hole at Keats and Mm -hmm. uh, subsequently the holes that they've drilled at Lotto and and more recently uh, Golden Joint. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's called the Appleton Fault Zone. And that's really, really important because it's these major structures that bring gold-bearing fluids up to the surface Mm-hmm. and uh, bring them into the into the right rocks and the right structural setting. So I was pretty excited to be having a good length, but it's about 12 kilometers of that structure covered by these licenses. So that was, to me, that was key. We got on, mm-hmm. the, we got on the project, and uh, so, like I said, late, late August, and we did a, a ton of work in about four months. We, by, the, by the end of it, we'd taken... Eight, over 8,000 soil samples. We'd taken over 1,000 rock samples. We'd done some rab drilling, which is rotary air blast drilling, about 1,600 meters of, of rab drilling. We'd done 250 line kilometers of ground magnetics and VLF, as well as a CSAMT, Control Source Audio, audio mm-hmm. Magnetotelluric Survey, another geophysical survey. And... Um, so, uh, and of course, mapping and, and prospecting. And the end result of all that was the discovery of a big quartz vein in outcrop, mm-hmm. an outcrop of quartz vein, which the geologists called Big Vein, and that name is stuck. Mm-hmm. So we now refer to that as our Big Vein target, which mm-hmm. is where we're actually drilling right now. And, um, but more importantly, right at the foot of this Big Vein, there was a boulder of quartz vein that contained visible gold. Mm-hmm. And it was a boulder, but being where it was, we, we assumed that it was coming from this big vein. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that was that was a key that was that was that was a key discovery for, for late last year. I think that was we made that discovery in beginning to middle of October. Mm-hmm. And um, we had about a month before everything was covered in snow to really go at it pretty hard. So we sampled uh, the outcrop and all the boulders around Big Vein. And uh, that, that initial boulder um, that we discovered with the visible gold in it, that assayed over a 1,000 grams a ton of gold. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, for, you, for your listeners who are more imperial-minded, minded, that's, over, that's over 30 ounces per ton of yeah. gold. Which yeah. is uh, just phenomenal. Um, so, so we we knew we were onto something. We were kind of hamstrung by the by the uh, by the snow, but uh, we put in drill permits because we knew we had to drill it. Uh, we had lots of information at this point around Big Vein because of all the all the the focus that we put on it, and um, we got the drill permit uh, for Big Vein in March of this year. We started drilling with one rig. Um, we added a second rig uh, later, uh, later this uh, probably, I think that was in May, and now we have three rigs drilling at Big Vane. And, um, yeah, you know, as, as you said, we've had some spectacular results. Um, like that 276 grams a ton over half a meter, um, yeah. which, again, that's about nine ounces a ton over one and a half feet. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean those those are sort of spectacular. We had some shorter, or long longer intervals, like twenty point six grams a ton over 
over three and a half meters, 10, 10 and a half grams a ton over two, 2.4 meters. So what we have is we have these little nuggets of high grade surrounded by more lower, lower grade mineralized rock. Mm-hmm. It's very right. similar to, to what we see newfound gold having, say, at, at, at Lotto and Keats. Now, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the difference between where we're at and where newfound gold is at is that they've, they have been able to successfully follow these high-grade shoots down, mm-hmm. down plunge. So mm-hmm. we're, we're getting it. We're, we're, we're consistently hitting these high grades, but we don't have, we don't have the intersections that they have at, at, um, down at Queensway yet. So mm-hmm. that's what we're working on. We believe that we're, that we're close. Um, and who knows? It's, uh, I, I think it's just going to be a matter of time before we hit it. Yeah, it's uh, many times. I mean, it, it seems as though Newfound was sort of hitting early on, um, sort of extraordinarily uh, success early on. Usually it takes a lot more drilling before you find, uh, you, find uh, you know, the really great deposits. Uh, so you're focused mostly on Big Vein. Can you give us a sense? I, I guess you don't – do you have a sense of how – uh, sort of the um, the size of this vein, the, the strike length, uh, or or do you need to do a lot more drilling before you know that? Well, we've we've outlined it over about 400 meters mm-hmm. um, near near surface. We we think it extends further than that, um, and we've we've drilled it now over about a uh, hundred meter a hundred meter strike length. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the the interesting thing about big vein. Is because because we found the the visible gold boulder right there. That's where we did focus. You're absolutely right. That's our that's our main focus. Yeah. But Big Vein is on this Appleton Fault, mm-hmm. and along the Appleton Fault, on either side of Big Vein, we have what we call a quartz vein corridor, mm-hmm. and that quartz vein corridor s- strikes over seven and a half kilometers, <laughs> and along along that corridor. We have indications of gold mineralization that we're in the process of following up now. Um, one is like a 16 gram per ton grab sample from a from a bowl that's about a kilometer to the south. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, some till samples with lots of gold grains in them, most of which are pristine, about a kilometer to the north of Big Vein. So the way the way I look at it, and especially when you look back down south at Queensway. You have the Keats, the Golden Joint, the Lotto, all within about a kilometer of one another. So skip north for five kilometers up to, up to where our mineralization is, a big vein. We're seeing the same thing with these little indications of gold mineralization. There's mm-hmm. a big vein, a kilometer to the south, a kilometer to the north, and then more to the north again. So mm-hmm. although big vein is our focus... There's lots going on along strike of Big Vein all along the Appleton Fault Zone. Have you got uh, a number of assays probably in the lab, and how? what's the turnaround time, and how soon might investors look for some more news? <laughs> That's probably the, the, the question I get asked most often. I I'll think bet. I think we must have a whole building of the lab filled with rock samples and core samples right now. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, we we keep sending them in and they don't come back very quickly, mm-hmm. um, but you know uh, that's that's life on the rock right now. It's um, mm-hmm. the sample turnaround time is pretty slow. Um, I, I understand it's like that everywhere, 
but uh, as you can imagine, with the number of companies operating here in Newfoundland now getting their summer programs underway, uh, yeah, that that lab is uh, is is pretty busy. And you've got you've doubled your program from I guess to fifty thousand meters this year, so it's a pretty aggressive program. Yes, it is, and you know, it's. Uh, I, I think many people have told us that you're going to need to drill a lot of holes to really tie this thing down. Uh, Quentin Hanek being one of them, he's got a lot of experience uh, on these kinds of systems. Mm-hmm. He's an advisor to to Labrador Gold. He's on the board of directors of Newfound Gold, and of course, he was he was also um, he also looked at uh, at, at Fosterville prior mm-hmm. to. Um, yeah. Kirkland Lake Gold taking it over, so mm-hmm. we're we're in we're in a favorable position uh, based on the the uh, private placements that both Newfound Gold and Eric Sprott uh, did with with us earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have plenty of plenty of cash for drilling. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're still we're up around thirty five million Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. And I can assure you that most of that is going to be spent on drilling, um, yep. and uh, so that's yeah. I mean, we're going to be drilling a lot of holes, both at Big Vein and all along the Appleton Fault Zone. Mm-hmm. So we should be uh, treated to some news pretty soon, I guess. We should be looking on the lookout for it, uh, and then when it comes, oh, maybe absolutely. when it when it rains, it pours, perhaps. <laughs> you- <laughs> yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you just one quick question. We're we're just about out of time here, Roger. But just let me ask you. Um, you, I think Newfound is a is an investor in your company, right? They are. Yes. Yes. And do you have a good working relationship? I imagine you you trade notes the technical teams. Uh, I would no. We don't. We don't really trade notes, but uh, uh, we have we have talked and uh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly, whenever I've talked to uh, Denis Laviolette, the president, mm-hmm. or, or Greg Matheson, the um, the VP of operations, uh, they're 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 very helpful. And um, yeah, I you know I I think we have we haven't had any sort of formal exchange of information, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we, uh, we 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 look and and check in what what each other is doing pretty closely. Sure, I'll bet. Well, Roger, it looks like you got a really exciting story for sure. It's one that I watch daily. I look, uh, look for the news that's coming out, and I think um, drilling is the, is the key, and you certainly have good people on your team, starting with yourself. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us today, and we'll look to catch up with you again sometime. Yeah, that's great, Jay. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks for your kind words. Uh, it's always, always a pleasure chatting to uh, chatting with people interested in Labrador Gold. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Roger. Okay, folks, well, we do have to get a break now, but don't go away because Peter Bukvar uh, is going to be with us, and um, we're going to ask him about some of these really strange markets and uh, what how we should be preparing uh, to invest in them. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Bukvar. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. 
Lion 1 is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion 1 trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at lion1metals.com for more information about Lion 1 Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and really pleased to have with me again Peter Bootvar. And uh, Peter has been with me once or twice. I can't remember exactly. Uh, he was very recently with us, and uh, really good to have him with us. Many of you have probably seen him over the years on CNBC and uh, chatting with Rick Santelli and others. And um, so he's been around for, for a few years. He's certainly not anywhere nearly as old as I am, but he is a, a very seasoned Wall Street professional and now uh, is the chief investment officer of Blakely Advisory Group. And I believe that's a company with, uh, I think this number is right, $7.5 billion um, in, in management, uh, something like that. Anyway, Peter's very, very seasoned, and um, we're very privileged to have him with us. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks, Jay. appreciate having me on your show. It's really good to have you. Uh, let me make sure this, uh, I saw a $7.5 billion number on your website, uh, the uh, the bio has 3.5, which is right. I think it's 7.5 probably. It's probably an outdated bio. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the bio hasn't been updated. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Just, just, just wanted to be sure. Peter, before we get into the uh, markets and what's going on today and in general what's going on longer term, uh, I'd like maybe just talk a little bit about Blakely Capital. Uh, how, how is it distinct from others, financial planning and wealth management entities? Uh, it's, it's, it's an independent firm. Um, what makes it distinct, uh, I mean, it, it, I guess it's distinct in, in, in its relationships and, um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's broad, uh, level of services that we provide to clients. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just asset management, but estate planning and, uh, broader financial planning and philanthropy and tax and insurance and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's been around for thirty plus years, so there there there's a track record here of service, and you know we're continuing to expand not just within our hometown of New Jersey, but in in different cities as well. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it seems to me that you might not have some of the conflicts of interest that some other firms have. But it's, uh, you're not you're not selling financial products per se. You're individually helping investors. Is that right? Right. We're not. Yes. Exactly. Sure. We're not tied to any of the big wirehouses, so we're not being shown product that we need or uh, or or encouraged to, to to sell to clients. It's it's creating the best portfolios. Uh, depending on what uh, each individual client's financial needs are. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that, you, uh, at least an emphasis on your website, was that you sort of tailor the, to individual needs. So if that's the case, then I'm guessing that you're, you're probably looking at, uh, at clients that are, you know, in that top 10% of the income scale, probably. It's probably for larger scale clients for the most part. Wealthier clients. Well, it, it, it varies. I mean, we, we, have, uh, we have older advisors, we have younger advisors, we have young clients, we have older clients. Uh, so it, it, it very much ranges. Um, it could mm-hmm. be a small account, um, mm-hmm. a young person that, that's just in their beginning of their prime earning years, mm-hmm. and, or it could be someone well-established who's retired or sold a business and was a high-income earner. So we, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we, we can fit any client in with a particular advisor, regardless of uh, their account size. Okay, so if people are interested, they should go to your website, and I know that there's a way to to uh, connect there. So I just wanted to let mm-hmm. people yeah. know something about Bleakley Capital, because it is a Thank substantial you. firm, and uh, I think it's worth people knowing something about it. Well, today the, mech- the equity markets are getting hit pretty hard. Uh, what's your take? What's going on? I see there's stuff, instability, it seems, in the Chinese markets and a lot of the Chinese stocks or companies that are invested in China seem to be having some trouble today, I believe. But what is your take on today's market action? It's definitely a factor of China, but uh, also I find it interesting. Uh, you know, we've had this tremendous rally, of course, particularly uh, over the past um, couple of months, particularly led by tech. And we have some big earnings uh, coming up with uh, Microsoft, Apple, and um, and Google on tonight on Tuesday, and then followed by Facebook mm-hmm. Wednesday and Apple on Thursday. And what we've seen so far from other big tech like Tesla and mm-hmm. Netflix, those stocks sold off um, after their earnings. And uh, you wonder after the big run-up we've seen in the other big cap tech, whether they suffer the same thing. Uh, breadth of the market has been weakening for months now. I mean, here is, we are late July, and Russell 2000 topped out in May. The... Um, uh, I'm sorry, in March, and uh, mm-hmm. small cap, uh, mid caps topped out in May, and so there's been a, a bifurcation in the market. Mm-hmm. And what that means, we'll, we'll have to see. I think a lot will depend on where the inflation story goes and and how the Fed responds to that. And of course, we'll get a Fed meeting this week to uh, to help us uh, figure that one out. Yeah, or confuses whichever. <laughs> I don't know. More likely I, uh, maybe- the latter. <laughs> well, we look to people like you to help us uh, ferret that out. Um, last time we talked, I believe we talked about rising inflation numbers, and since then I think we've seen some new higher numbers. Uh, I believe it was before the 5.2 CPI and the 7.3 PPI. Um, what's, what's your sense? Is this, I mean, I think you've been of the, of the school, at least when we last talked to you, that it's probably not transitory. Uh, I'm guessing these latest numbers uh, have you thinking the same thing. I do. I don't think it's temporary. Uh, I, I think people are, are too confident that supply chains will just 
quickly readjust and, and we'll be back to normal. Uh, I think that we've had years of underinvestment, particularly on the commodity side. We've had 10 years plus of underinvestment in, in housing uh, after, you know, the result of, of the, af- well, the aftermath of, 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 of the bust. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, we've had this boom-bust type economy going back to the, the late 90s, which you can even stretch that the, the shortage of semis is, is a consequence of the late 90s bubble uh, mm-hmm. because we learned that semis uh, are a cyclical business. And uh, after that bust, uh, companies decided, hey, let me outsource semiconductor production. I'll just design it, and uh, that'll be much more efficient. Well, you know, we, we've seen from decades of now underinvestment because we've outsourced to others and didn't decide to build any factories ourselves that uh, now you throw in the auto sector as a new area of, of voracious demand, and now we don't have enough semis. And um, it's going to take years to bring that back on. I think that just-in-time inventory, which was uh, a greaser of the wheels, so to speak, in terms of production efficiency and allowing companies to uh, um, just perform at, at, at higher levels of inventory turns and low working capital needs, uh, lower, which led to higher productivity and lower prices, that just-in-time inventory after COVID is dead and that companies are going to have to keep more inventory on the shelves which means to higher capital needs, lower cash flows, lower productivity, and likely higher prices. Uh, look at the wage story. Uh, yes, in, in September, uh, we're going to hopefully get more people back to work, but um, you know, there's still a lot of incentives uh, paying people not to work, particularly with the child tax credit where, uh, employee, uh, where, where families or people don't need to prove that they're going back to work. So uh, I still think there's going to be sticky inflation, and, and, and I've, uh, I said this on, your, uh, on our last interview, that this whole debate on inflation being temporary or not is, there's no such thing as temporary inflation, first of all, because services inflation is always higher. Yeah. Uh, the good side, uh, the good side because of technology, production, efficiency, and so forth, for, you know, the 20 years leading into COVID, goods prices, X energy and food was basically zero. So that's mm-hmm. where, where the so-called price stability has been. But when you combine the two, inflation is still higher again because of services. Well, now, so therefore the debate about temporary not is really only on the good side. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, services inflation is always higher. And now, if anything, because of higher rents, I believe it's only going to accelerate. And on the good side, yeah, at some point, uh, things will normalize. I mean, after all, you can call the 1970s inflation transitory, right, because of the yeah. rate of change you know, slowed. But um, yeah. I, I don't think that the U.S. economy can handle even a couple of years of, of elevated inflation uh, because we are a consumer-dependent economy, because we are already seeing stagflationary-type uh, situations in, in particular industries where uh, higher prices are now slowing demand. And you have, you're seeing that in, in housing. If you look at weekly mortgage applications, mm-hmm. uh, yes, there's also supply issues and builders can't bring enough um, product to market, but when you're seeing 17% year-over-year home price increases measured by CoreLogic's number this week, uh, that turns off buyers. When you have record high prices for autos or used cars, that turns off buyers. Uh, if an auto plant has to shut down because they can't get enough product, you know that slows growth. Mm-hmm. So, ironically, the Fed believes that they're implementing what they what Jay Powell likes to say, powerful stimulus. But that stimulus is now leading to overkill, 
and running things hot is now resulting in a cooling down. And uh, so it'd be interesting uh, with that what, what the Fed will do. Uh, I think that they'll probably do nothing because they're worried about COVID and um, won't address this, this inflation story that I think has, has legs to it. Uh, but keep in mind, yeah, we'll, we'll slow down from the annualized pace of core CPI of 8% over the past four months to something lower just mm-hmm. on a rate of change basis, but yeah. you know, a couple of years of even 3 to 4% inflation, yeah. that's a problem for just the consumer. It's a problem for interest rates. It's a problem for um, multiples. Um, it, it's, and, and it's in 3 to 4% is, is, is more than double what people are used to. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of interest rates, what, Peter, how high do interest rates have to go before it takes the equity market down? Well, if we look at the fourth quarter of 2018, it was a Fed funds rate of 2.5% that led to a panic uh, that resulted in Jay Powell totally backing off. 2.5%. Right. Uh, this year, we saw one and three quarter 10 year, and, and it resulted in a 10% pullback in the NASDAQ. NASDAQ, of course, got its legs back when yields started to fall, but and at least that was at least one sign that um, valuations became important when rates rose. But, of course, with the global level of demand and um, credit multiples where they are, P multiples in stocks where they are, and in addition to a variety of other uh, valuation metrics, uh, there, 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 there should be very little tolerance for another jump higher in interest rates. It's just hard to see, and yet they have to go higher or else the Fed has to print. That's the way I see it. I mean, who's going to want to buy? Who buys treasuries, first of all? I mean, if the, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the new money that the, that the Treasuries have, has had to raise has come mostly from the Fed printing, and I see some from uh, pension funds, perhaps, that are large. But other than that, there's not any – I mean, foreigners are not buying buying new Treasuries, are they, to any great extent? I don't know. Help me if I'm wrong on that. I'm not sure. But who's buying them, and why would no, anybody th- buy them? Yeah, for, foreigners on a net basis have been uh, sellers – and mm-hmm. so they're, they're out of the picture. They're, their ownership stake as a percent of the U.S. Treasury markets down to about a third of a percent. Uh, it was almost, almost half at the peak uh, back in 2011, 2012, I believe. Uh, but banks have been big buyers of, of, of uh, bonds. You look at the oh. loan data, C&I loans, um, credit card loans, real estate loans outside of residential, you know, they've fallen dramatically. So what are banks doing? They're taking deposits and they're buying U.S. Treasuries. Okay. So okay, they're a big buyer of, uh, of treasuries. Okay, so that's where some of the financing is coming from, I guess. They're not making loans, that's yeah. for sure, which means that the Main Street and the real economy isn't getting much of a boost in that regard anyway. Um, and I guess, I mean, why would they make loans if the interest rates are so low? Was there enough juice in the interest rates to allow banks to be compensated for the risk they're taking on when they're lending into the real economy? Well, that's another problem of uh, a Fed policy is that they've they, they've crushed loan margins to such an extent that banks have to be even more careful about the loans that they're going to extend. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're a big company with access to the capital markets, you don't really care. But if you're a small, medium-sized business that relies on on bank loans, uh, well, the banks are going to be that much more discriminating in who they give loans to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I've seen and, and I've been um, partners in, 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 in different businesses where getting a loan for a second store mm-hmm. after 
a successful run with the first one was harder than getting a loan for the first one when you've never done oh. it before. Wow. And uh, I think a lot of that goes back to margin, uh, you know, loan margins being squeezed uh, because of what the Fed has done, let alone <laughs> what other central banks have done, of course, in Japan and, and, and Europe. That, that also is, is the case there. And uh, it gets to my point that monetary policy is actually restrictive. Uh, it's it's again it's ran, run, run things too hot that are, that's yeah. now cooling cooling down, and they they inhibit the flow of credit to small and medium sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's tragic, it really is. Uh, before uh, we don't not never enough time here, but uh, regarding shortages and supply issues, I think it was American Airlines today said they're they're sort of warning people there may be a shortage of jet fuel this summer. Do you have any idea why that would be? I mean, it's just do you, do you can you connect the dots on that? Uh, one of the reasons is there's not enough trucks uh-huh. to deliver the fuel to the places that they need to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a main factor. I mean, there there's literally a shortage of trucks as there a shortage of cars also. Uh, so shortage of drivers. One of the reasons why, and shortage of drivers as well. Yeah. Uh, there's essentially a shortage of almost everything, which is. Um, uh, is this is, is this obviously a, a real challenge for a lot of businesses? Yeah, is this Peter because we've been sort of running a casino economy, kind of like instead of money going into real plant and equipment, it's sort of like you said we outsourced a lot of manufacturing, and so we're not really producing the things we have to have to stay alive in America. We're and we're relying on other countries to do it, and then people are just sort of in the equity market casino making, you know, just, and, and besides, they know that equities aren't going to be allowed to go down, right? I mean, that, that, that's the feeling, uh, yeah. <laughs> even though, you know, you look at the last two bear markets, the, the Fed fought it tooth and nail and it didn't stop stock prices mm-hmm. from readjusting lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure if, uh, well, we know each time we've had declines, at least post-financial crisis, the Fed has, has backed off from either QE or, or raising interest rates to, to, to stop, to stem the bleeding. Um, and yeah, that, that's created certainly uh, a level of comfort slash complacency on the part of investors, but you know, it's paid to feel that way. It's paid to think that the Fed is going to do that. And, but the thing that uh, inhibits any potential future response is this whole inflation story. Uh, you know, the Fed has license to do as they choose when uh, inflation is low. The Fed was able to get away with zero rates for seven years and all the QE in, in addition to other central banks because inflation was low. But if inflation is now all of a sudden persistently higher, uh-huh. Uh-huh. then that changes the equation uh, and their response function potentially. Mm-hmm. A fly in the ointment, as it were. Uh, just with only about three and a half minutes or so left here, I'd just like to mention... Uh, something that Ray Dalio, has, I don't know if you're a Ray Dalio fan at all or not, but he's talking about betting on the continuation of asset price inflation. In other words, equi- I think equities, financial markets, and, and probably uh, commodities, I think gold and precious metals as well. But then he's, he's suggesting a hedge in the form of a short against treasuries. I guess believing that perhaps uh, interest rates could get out of control for the, by you know the Fed loses control of interest rates. Does that strategy make any sense to you? Well, if I'm right on inflation and and sort of a stagflationary type environment, 
while some companies that have pricing power will be able to offset that, uh, mm-hmm. it is a PE multiple killer. Uh, so a- any sustainability of earnings, uh, I think people are going to pay less for that. So mm-hmm. that, that that's why if you look at history, um, certain most the stock markets typically is not a great inflation hedge in an inflationary uh-huh. environment. Now, mm-hmm. certain stocks are. You know, gold stocks certainly were in the 70s and mm-hmm. for oil and gas stocks as well. But um, mm-hmm. because the PE multiple uh, usually compresses during those times, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best strategy uh, in a inf- sustainable inflationary environment. Yeah. You know, with respect to the long end of the yield curve, you know, on paper, you say, yeah, it's got to be a short because if the inflation's here, why would you want to own long bonds? But right. you know, because of the influence of the Fed, mm-hmm. uh, it, it becomes a more difficult trade to put on. Uh, mm-hmm. That said, I do think that we will have another repeat of, of the first quarter when you saw long-term rates jump, uh, and that is because I think the, uh, you know, right now the market thinks that the Fed is going to somehow be ahead of the curve and, and, and will get control of inflation if right, it flares right. up, but mm-hmm. I think that's just wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Inevitably, they're, they're bound to lose control, I would think. Peter, with just about 30 seconds left or so. What about gold? Uh, you would think with negative real rates, you would think that gold should be doing well now, but it's not particularly. What do you think is going on there? Uh, yeah, it's been frustrating, uh, particularly the last couple of days when you've seen real rates go down and the dollar uh, uh, sell off as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think up to this point, while real rates were still pretty negative, you had that dollar bounce that was a headwind. Uh, I, 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 I wish I had a, an, an explanation. It, it's, it's rather frustrating to watch. Uh, I do think that we are still in a gold, silver, bull market, and mm-hmm. uh, I do think people are going to wake up to the fact that um, real rates are deeply negative and inflation is here to stay. Maybe it's just some hesitancy ahead of the Fed meeting and whether they're going to taper or not, uh, and, and maybe after that meeting we'll have some clarity uh, that will provide more of a, a pathway for gold and silver. That's my mm-hmm. only thought. Uh, other than that, mm-hmm. I can't really think of any good explanation. Well, uh, we'll have to leave the go at that, Peter. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, your insights are always very much uh, welcome and, uh, and and very valuable to us. So thank you for being with us uh, once again. Well, folks, uh, that is, you bet. Anytime, we'll have you back whenever you're available. Well, folks, um, that is all the time we have this week. Alistair McLeod will be with me next week. Alistair's insisting that the Federal Reserve has painted itself into a corner and uh, is comparing the Fed's position with that of the Mississippi bubble back in the 17, uh, early 1700s. Also, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me uh, to talk about Lion One and Michael Oliver returns. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit NV Gold Corp. Corp.com to learn more on this exciting story.